Hello, I'm your host, Anita Grantham. Welcome to episode six of HR Unplugged. Today, we'll talk about the critical reasons you need a talent philosophy, what that means, and what you can do today to make an impact at your organization. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Hello, welcome to episode six. We're so excited to be here today. Hi, Anita, how are you feeling? I feel great. How about you, Takara? Good to see you. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to see you. And I am really looking forward to today's topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about talent philosophy, and we're so excited you all are here to join us. And Anita has so much wisdom in this area. I know she's our head of HR for a reason. She's amazing. She's got so many um, experiences. Anita, will you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Takara. I feel the same way. We've been doing this every two weeks. This is episode six. You know, I'm super passionate about creating great places to work. My bottom line is that life's too darn short to spend time working at places that we don't enjoy. So I've had a lot of great experience working with mission-driven founders at all sized organizations from 25 to 2000, from US-based to global and just met many, many industries. And I just love helping all of you create the best work environment that you want to have for your organization. And grateful to be here with Takara and answering all those questions that you can't get answered anywhere else right here for you. Awesome. Thanks, Anita. Yeah. And I, I'm Takara. I'm facilitating this conversation. I guess I want to get us all level set then on what is a talent philosophy? Anita, can you walk us through a definition and what your talent philosophy should include? Yes, I love this question. And for an organization, big or small, for one to 2,000, you must consider having a talent philosophy. And we're going to look to give you all those reasons why throughout today's session. So at a high level, for me and at Bamboo, we really look to a talent philosophy as the principles for which we look at the talent we need to achieve our strategy for the future. So if you look at where your business is going, and you say, hey, I want to win this category. I want to be the best general contractor. I saw one of you is, you know, care for Arabian horses. We want to be known as the premier caregiver for Arabian horses. We want to be the best healthcare in Indianapolis. What does that mean to be the best or premier or win this category? And then what are the skills and capabilities required to create that business outcome? Those skills and capabilities become the foundation from which you hire and grow your talent going forward. And it's important to codify that for the organization so that you can go and attract that type of talent into your organization. So talent philosophy can sound big and ambiguous and nebulous. And really what it is, is what is the talent that you need to get the job done for the organization and the strategy and where you're heading? Yeah. Wow. It sounds like talent philosophy is really um, reliant on also your brand mission. Like what are, yeah, as an organization, highest level, what are you trying to be and accomplish? And then how, yeah, what, what is going to be your team that does that? That's, it sounds so clear when you say it, Anita, you make it seem so simple. (laughs) 
Well, it's it's so interesting because it, it can be simple. It does not have to be complex, but 30% of companies are using strategies for how they manage their talent, which is really interesting given the great resignation. You hear about this war for talent. You hear how hard it is to attract and retain. And I think part of the reason is, is because people are kind of doing, you know, a, a I don't know, spray, a spray and pray type philosophy where they're like, I just need warm bodies in the building. And, you know, I, I mean, there's no judgment here. This is the judgment free zone. And if you want to go get great talent, that's going to stay and grow with you. I would just encourage you to take a hot minute. It doesn't have to be a ton of time. Literally in 15 minutes, you could sit down with a team of, of five of your business, business, like biggest business deliverable roles. So whoever that is, your head of sales, your head of product, your head of customer service and say, what are the gaps that we have in our talent right now? And build a philosophy that you're going to go higher against for the next six to 12 months. And it'll make a big difference in how you're able to grow that talent and grow your business. Awesome. There's some actionable items right there, just from the get-go. Uh, all right. So what are good questions that they that people should consider when they are trying to build the talent philosophy? It sounds like a lot of our audience is in need of building one. So where do you recommend starting? Yeah. So given the current environment out there, you want to know that your business can survive. So are you a growing business right now? Um, over the next two years, a lot of the advice that I've heard, whether it's from business leaders or venture capitalists or private equity or you know small businesses that are starting up, the goal is to have enough cash in the bank for the next two years. That's like objective one. So if you don't have enough cash in the bank for the next two years, how are you going to get it? Are you going to grow top line revenue by getting new customers? Are you going to expand your base of current customers and sell them you know, new products or services to that existing customer base? What's your strategy on that? That would be the first thing you need to answer. Um, around like, what do we want to do over the next two years? What type of business are we running? Or are we just going to say, hey, we don't want to grow. We just want to stay the same. Like we just want to survive. So we just want to keep all of our current customers. We, we're going to keep revenue flat right now. That's an okay answer too. And then you know, go deep on those questions, really understand, codify kind of your strategy for the next 12 months. That's the place of questioning you want to start in first. And then going into what are the skills I need? What are the capabilities I need? If I could, I love this question. If I could clone this person and this skill, who would it be and why? If I could have more of this in my business, who would it be and why? If I could have less of this in my business, what would it be and why? So question everything and get super curious. You'll hear me often in these sessions, you know, put on your inspector gadget hat and just go in and start learning and asking a lot of questions and hear the answers like you're hearing them for the first time. And you will discover things that you haven't learned about your business in a while. It's really a fun exercise and a great way to really reconnect with the business leaders that you're working with. I love the, what do you want less of in your business? That's a really good question, right? Uh, so I'm a how, big fan of the stop doing. What do we want less of? What can we stop doing? So how does that maybe um, then entail like whether or not you want to be hiring kind of um, ambitious, uh, like growth oriented individuals, or if you want to, it, or if it's okay to hire average performers and how long is it okay for them to be average performers? Um, 
you know, are you investing in high performing, high potential employees? Or I feel like that's definitely a, a nuance, right? Are you competing for top talent? Because maybe not everyone is always competing for top talent. Is that is that true? Is that yeah, I, I love those questions, Takara. I think it's a challenge because everybody's like, oh, we need top talent. Do you need top talent in every role? And we really have to decouple the role from the human that sits in it today or the human that will sit in it in the future. So one of the you know things that we have to all be better at is really writing down. Don't think of it as a job description, but think of it as the outcomes of the job. And then based on the outcomes that you need in the job, what type of person is going to deliver those outcomes? And what does, like everybody throws out these terms, top performer. What does a top performer mean for a sales representative? What does top performer mean for a customer service rep? And do you need them all to be top performers? Like what, what metric or what outcome are you going for? For customer success, let's say they have to be able to answer 100 uh, ticket requests a day. And maybe your top performer is 150, but if you only get so many ticket requests every day, do you need everybody answering the most ticket requests every day? Or is it seasonal? Or are top performers maybe the most efficient at getting customers to not call back again? You know, what are the things that make them uh, so-called top performers? But one of my favorite articles is Let's Hear It for the B Players. It's a Harvard Business Review article. It was put out a few years ago. And we have to be better at securing and retaining our people that come in and just want to do the work every day. They don't want to grow into the next job. They don't want to be the people leader of the future. They don't want to go innovate the next product. They just want to come in and do their great work in an environment where they're respected, they have fun, and they enjoy their coworkers. And that's okay. And just as a rule of thumb, that's probably 80% of our organization. I still believe that Pareto's law of 80-20 is in effect here. And you have 20% of people really driving the organization forward or sustaining whatever that growth is or maintaining that growth. And you have 80% that are doing what it takes to take care of the customer and product day in and day out. And you're only going to have a small percentage of them that want to rise into that 20% category to drive it forward. And I think that's okay. And the key is, is to just go have those conversation and figure out who's the 20%, who's the 80%, and how do you treat everybody with love and kindness and respect and help them feel valued and appreciated for the work that they do on the mission that you're on. Yeah, I, I see that there's need to know who wants to advance and not necessarily I idealize that as the only path, right? There's like, there's a lot there, I think that could be said about, um, that I'd be interested in hearing from you at some point too, about how we um, talk to B players, right? How we let them know they're a B player and that we love them and we want them to be a B player. And we're stoked to support them. if like the most important thing in their life is not their career advancement. So, all right. If we are um, looking at what, what would be included in a talent philosophy and what maybe is missing. Um, mm. We want to know like, what's going to have, what are the consequences of not having certain parts of that talent philosophy codified? Yeah, that's a great question. What happens if you don't do this work? What happens is that you could have higher turnover. What happens is that you could have somebody, I mean, we've all had this happen before. That's like, this is not the job I signed up for. Um, you know, we see this all the time where you have a leader, you have a hiring manager that has a pain 
and they are like, I just need a warm body to come and fill this pain. And then they, we go out and we create the job description and we go recruit against the job description. And the person comes in and a few things could happen. One is they're like, this is not the job I interviewed for. Two, they're saying, hey, I don't feel like I have the skills and abilities to succeed here because maybe it was profiled out incorrectly. Maybe you said, I want somebody I can train or I need somebody with experience. And what type of training are you willing to do and can you provide? And or conversely, what type of experience do you really need in the role? And also, you know, I love using this example because we we work in tech. And so a lot of people are like, oh, is it, you know, is it like Google? Is it, you know, all these things that they imagine big tech to be? And we're not big tech, we're, we're small tech. But, you know, people come in with all these perceptions of what it is. And I know if you're coming to work on my team, here's the answer. It's like, I will tell you that here's the start of the alphabet. It goes from A to Z. I know what A is and I know what Z is. I don't know what the middle looks like. And your job is to come and help me create the middle. And like you're out and you're swimming in the deep end of the pool and here's your life preserver. And, but there aren't really swimming lessons and there's not really guide rails. And we run our team um, like a real big learning environment and we're, we're learning and we're iterating and we, we do things that are based on toolkits, not playbooks. And so we're inventing from scratch. We're taking risks on things. We're doing things in the spirit of the mission and vision. But if you want an organization where it's like, here's A and here are the 10 steps to move to B and here are the 10 steps you move to C, that's not on my team. And again, it's not good or bad, like no judgment on either side, but this is what my team is. This is what my team is not. And if you don't have that vision as a leader in a way that you can articulate it or the recruiters can articulate it, the outcomes is that you're going to turn over the people that you know we bring in together or you're going to hire the wrong people to go fill the job and then you're just going to be behind, right? Then you get in this cycle of turnover and really what I really push the most important time that can be spent in hiring and recruiting is on the outcomes of the job. What what is this human going to go perform? What do you need them to do? Will they be performing this in the first quarter of their job and in 12 months or will their job change? Right. And how, what will it change into? And you need to help leaders think through this is the job today. What could affect it? What can make it different in 12 months? And what do we need to talk to the candidate about to see if they're open to that kind of change? That's one thing we don't talk about in organizations. Things have changed quickly over the last 24 months. We know that humans don't like change. And so if you're in a fast changing or you're working for a founder that changes their mind often or changes their direction, you want to hire people into the business that are okay with a lot of change and ambiguity. Or they're not because everything's so directly set. So there's a, a handful of examples of what can happen if you're not clear on the talent profile. Awesome. Thank you. Do you want to talk about that compensation philosophy tying in with talent philosophy as well a little bit? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this is a great question. Thank you, Tom, for the question. So how does a talent philosophy marry with a comp philosophy? Talent philosophy comes first, right? Because you want to know... And, if you go back to episodes four and five, we really talk about this. So it may be something you consider to go back and rewatch. If you go and you articulate what type of talent you need in the business, then from there you say, what compensation, what rewards incentivize this type of talent to come and work for us? And that's where you have this power packed 
packet of um, information to go and create your employer brand, to go and use and articulate in recruiting meetings, to write and articulate through your job descriptions and the things that you're putting on your website to sell your job for hiring managers to talk about. So talent philosophy always first, comp philosophy always second, and together you really have everything you need to set it up for success. We're seeing a few questions that are about executive buy-in um, as kind of a theme. And yeah. so Michelle and um, similarly, Ali asked, like, how do you introduce this concept to a team of managers who think they know better? Yeah, it's a great question. So we just did this work at Bamboo, so I can share with y'all my 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 fresh use case. So in May, we got together for an offsite, and I just started asking the questions that I gave all of you around, around the talent. What's working in the business with your talent? What's not working in the business? What do you wish you had more of? What do you wish that you have less of? And all of those things, because oftentimes when you hear managers come back, what they come back and they say to you is people are leaving for compensation. That's like the, the, the thing that comes up. And what we like to do at Bamboo that is just a, a great principle to consider taking into your own business is what is really the problem that we're going to go solve? And when I hear compensation is a problem all over the business, I tend to wonder what is the problem that we're solving and is it truly compensation? And when we started this work, we had just started working into compensation, but we hadn't done the talent piece. And so what I shared with the managers is, hey, compensation might be the problem that we're solving. And I don't know. Could we really talk about the type of talent that you need? Can we look, if we look at sales representatives, can we go through and look at your top 20% of performing sales reps and talk about why they're performing so well? Like, what is it that they do better than the rest of them? And kind of look at those capabilities. So we're not looking at humans, we're looking at capabilities that we need in the job. And then from there, we can go back and look at the compensation. But to do that, we have to understand the talent that we want. So that's the positioning I would take with the manager to help bring them along. And that's also how I would do it with executives. Like if you're really committed to consistent and and consistent pay practices, which I think we all want to be committed to consistent pay practices, you have to understand what talent you're getting. And so you can understand how actually to pay them. Uh, to go and say, is compensation the problem or not? And there's a number of times where we've seen that compensation is the problem. And there's a number of times where we've said, hey, compared to where we want to be for this role, we're competitive. And so there's something else that we need to go. Maybe they're working for an early career leader that needs help kind of establishing accountability and guide rails. You know, maybe something is happening in the general market and there's more competition and they need more tools from marketing on how they combat customers saying, saying no to the original pitch. You know, there's a number of different things out there that we can help with. And it's just a matter of asking the right questions to get to the answer of what problem are we solving for. You know, is this just for managers and guiding your own practices, or is this something that everybody in the business uh, should should know is how you're operating? If you find out that you're paying competitively, if you're already offering competitive compensation, then like throwing more money isn't necessarily, yeah, it's like you're, what are you doing? Right. So finding that out is, is such, so important. And I'm glad you brought that up. That was insightful. So transparency. So I, my team just asked me this. So the leadership team just asked me this two weeks ago and they said, how transparent do we want to be about all of this? And this is my answer. Transparency about compensation and talent is directly correlated to the maturity of your leaders. Like full stop. So if you have leaders that can really 
understand that there are principles behind the way we're going to acquire talent, I think that process can be super transparent. I think you can share it with the whole business and it's useful for the whole business to know to say, hey, this is how we're going to take care of our 80%. This is how we're going to take care of our 20%. These are the roles that we need to go get and why. All of that is to be super transparent about. When you start tying that into compensation, I think transparency and compensation absent really thoughtful training to leaders to answer all the questions can be super dangerous. And oftentimes it drives not that not the engagement that we want in a business. So I, I would I would caution that you think about why do you want transparency? What's the business outcome that you want to drive with transparency? And how do you feel your leaders are prepared to really speak openly and transparently and thoughtfully about the data that you're getting ready to share? Um, there is a, a diversity and equity an initiative question that Heather asked, and it was about how talent philosophy plays into that into that space, essentially. Uh, how do you include that in this as well, um, you know, as your skills, you're hiring for skills and, and outcomes, but what about DEI? How do we fit yeah. that in? So to me, they're one and the same, right? You're looking for skills and ability absent like what it shows up with at, from a DEI standpoint, right? You want to go find these skills and you want to be generating a diversified pipeline. And in your employment brand, you want to make sure you're pushing out messaging that attracts anyone into the space and makes them feel comfortable to apply, makes them feel like they can belong in your organization, makes them feel like they all have a voice and be included to do the best work if that's the organization that you have. Right. So all of those things I just rattled up are true for bamboo. They may or they may not be true for the organization that you're in. And so, again, no judgment around it, but be sure to lay it out and say, hey, we believe that we want the most qualified humans for the role. You may not believe that. You may believe, hey, I want a certain amount of percentage of candidates to come out of this demographic or from this type of background or from these types of things. And so you should be able to call that out and be explicit with it in the way that it aligns for your mission. And so our mission at Bamboo is to set people free to do great work. So we drive a process and a foundation that's very inclusive, that's very focused on belonging, that we want to encourage people from all walks of life to be able to apply and thrive at Bamboo. And that's that's how it works for us. But I would, I would push you um, to consider putting them together when DEI is outside your core people or HR processes, it makes it really challenging. It needs to be integrated into everything that you do, into every decision, into every single workflow, and that way you have a very consistent experience. Thanks, Nita. And I truly believe that if we're if we're paying for skills and we're defining the jobs um, outside of the human, right? And we know um, that we're following a compensation strategy that's going to be fair compensation and consistent. I think a lot of that addresses some of those primary DE&I issues that we're trying to solve. So I think those are also part of the part of this holistic approach to DE&I through, throughout an integrated approach. Would you agree with that? I would. And that way, you know, similarly, I always say that uh, HR people were responsible for, you know, selling the product recruiting team members like that's our job and in both of those things we're responsible for providing a consistent and an inclusive environment 
um, you know, we really focus at Bamboo on inclusivity. And through that, diversity will come. I think diversity is an outcome of inclusivity. I think diversity is an outcome of belonging. And it's something that everybody at Bamboo cares about in their way that matters to them, that sets them free to do their work and how it works for them. And so that way it's not on one person, one team, one department, and we model it through our leadership practices. Uh, the next question I wanted to ask is on behalf of Kristen, and it's what? A, how do you maintain hiring under a talent philosophy in times of desperation? When you're desperate <laughs> for warm bodies and managers are desperate for those warm bodies, how do you how do you um, protect and retain and maintain that that drive around your philosophy? So I love this question. And my answer would be like, well, do you just want warm customers too, right? We all know that a customer that comes into our business and leaves right away with a bad experience and they write about it on Yelp or they write about it on Glassdoor or they write about it on OpenTable. I mean, pick your review site poison is worse than really bringing in somebody who's talented that will contribute to the business. So, or a customer that really is passionate and can be, you know, a high NPS score, net promoter score for the business. So I really look at them and one and the same. If you wanna turn out your team members and not be intentional and thoughtful around your largest expense in the business, you can take that approach, right? And just know that turnover will be high, cost will be high, and customer experience will probably be low. And if the business says, yes, I want to take that on, then awesome. I will go hire you a truckload of warm bodies. Kristen actually actually let us know that they are in education. So that's a really interesting one because my first thought is like, well, think of the children, right? Like, what do you want the what do you want the educational outcome to be and the the like societal impact of like oh, we, we put warm bodies in these roles, but I know that probably isn't necessarily the most compelling argument. Um, to As a parent of elementary moment. school students, please don't. <laughs> and I will say though, I ran into a woman I used to work with in previous life. And she said that they're doing this in Utah. I don't know if they're doing it in other states, but they're actually incentivizing people to leave corporate America. They're going to pay for their education to go and get their teaching certificate, and then they'll hire them in as educators. And I love that idea because I know education similar to healthcare has been really impacted over the last two years. We've had a lot of movement in and out of the most critical roles that we need in our community and so let's innovate how we get more people to come into education. Um, let's think about that value proposition. I mean, that value proposition is awesome. We get summers off as educators, right? We get to take care of the future of America. You have a culture in a school that um, you can create where people are supportive of each other and help each other and as a community for growth, um, for preparing the future of 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 our communities. There is a great book, um, Jim Collins does a good to great for social sectors. And so I'd encourage you to pick that up for, I know a lot of you on this call are in the nonprofit space and all of these things that I'm sharing with you today can be applied in the social sector. So don't discount it. Let's just look at it through a different lens, pick up a different kaleidoscope and find a way that it can work for, for the work that you're doing in the social sector. Yeah, sounds like you got to kind of dual wield some strategies because you've got that long term play of figuring out how to support that pipeline of education professionals, as well That's as, right. you know, what do you have to do for tomorrow? But as long as you're thinking of that now and putting and putting some effort behind it, then hopefully down the road, you're going to get to that that consistent talent philosophy operation. 
One, one other thing that I think about with that, that we survive on in for-profit organizations is a good old referral bonus. Is there something that you could build into the um, school recruiting process that's like, hey, if you refer a teacher that signs on and stays through the first year, you get something. Um, could be could be interesting. So, yeah, that is interesting. Um, thank you. And okay, so we have another question coming in. Uh, Tim asked, "What? Let's see. We have went gone from an aging workforce to a younger workforce in the last couple of years." This is really complicated. Do you have any advice? How do you get the older population to train the younger employees? Uh, it's a great question. I believe there's space for all four generations in work. And the way that you get it done is just by aligning the mission. The mission that you have will appeal to certain areas of all four generations. And you want to make sure that you're recruiting and your talent branding and your benefits there's a lot of innovation in the benefit space right now is speaking to that talent of every generation because their needs are different. We talked about this, I think in episode four, if you want to go back for some more specific ideas about putting your generations from the attraction and the retention side into personas, just like we do for customer personas, and then taking the opportunity to customize some of your benefits to those personas. And then when it talks about training, similar to um, anybody that does training, you have to be able to want to give and share knowledge in a way that it's consumed and, and implemented. And so through your hiring process, make sure you're really asking a lot of questions and looking for profiles. Maybe that's a great way to go secure retired teachers right? They love to teach and maybe you could do a part-time opportunity or, you know, uh, some type of great arrangement that speaks to a lot of flexibility for people uh, that are in later in their career. I would put together maybe a focus group and ask, you know, people that are doing it well in your organization, why do they like it and why do they stay and who do they know that they would want to do training with? So there's a few, a few ideas for you there. So, so get your marketers involved in this process is what I'm hearing. Your marketers. Everybody needs a marketer in HR, like for yeah. real, like either find a good friend that's a marketer or hire one in and convert them to the dark side of HR. It won't, it won't, it won't be mm -hmm. a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's an insight there for sure. As I like to go to a company that I really admire what they're doing from a talent standpoint. And I really spend a lot of time on their website. And I look at how they're positioning everything to attract, attract talent. And even reading their job descriptions, you'll start to get a sense of what type of talent philosophy they're using. And really, if we look at this of like, um, stable talent, developable talent. So stable, you know, they're, they're there, they're continuing to deliver day in to day out. Then do you want a portion of your talent that you develop? Do you want a portion? I think all talent philosophy should be inclusive. So I really would push you to create something that speaks to you that again, underpins the overall business strategy. So depending on what type of business you're in and what you want to do with it over the next two years, I would go look at that. And then I would pick a company that is doing it really, really well and start to really research how they are going after their talent. 
So that would be kind of how I'd encourage you to think about it. I think if you just Google talent philosophy, I think I've done this before, a bunch of stuff comes up. That's why I'd ask you, Dakar. I'm like, those words are too big for me. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I would just rather- yeah, That's what you I know, wanted some, to save everyone from. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's so cerebral and it sounds like it's straight out of like a university book, like get your master's on organizational development, which I, which I have, and I'm grateful for, but like a lot of those terms are so HR-esque. And what I'd encourage you to do is, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing interviews right now and I always question to HR people, how they explain it to the business partner, like explain it to the business. And I'm like, don't use HR terms, use business terms. And what you want is people that are going to deliver on the business outcomes that you have as a leader. What type of talent do you need to go get that done? Um, and keep all of the developable, developable, I can't say that word either, stable, um, you know, philosophy, keep that all for yourself and find something that works for your customer being the business leader that you're hiring talent for. Perfect. Um, that being said, so what, what are like the three reasons that you would say bring to your, your managers, you, the business, who you're pitching to, um, as you're implementing a, a strat, a talent philosophy, what are the three reasons that every business should have a talent philosophy? Well, your business should tell you. So that's the first thing. If your business is coming to you and they're saying, Hey, this isn't working and you dive in and they're saying, hey, I can't keep anybody here. They're all leaving. Well, one, there's there's something wrong if we can't create a reason for them to stay. Or if you look and you say, hey, I've made five offers to five different candidates and they've all declined. And your hiring manager is like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't deliver on all this work if you don't get me a warm body. Well, why is that warm body, five of them, declining over and over again? Right? So they're going to surface to you that there's a challenge um, in the talent that they have, or the current team that you have of sales reps on the floor isn't delivering. Why is that? Get in there and start asking them what's in your way right now. What's not working for you? Are you not getting trained? Are you not getting paid? Are you not getting the leads that you need? What are the things that are going into it? So as you start to dig in, the business will reveal to you what it needs. And I would encourage you taking that approach versus coming in and saying, hey, these are the three reasons we need to go get a talent philosophy because if the business doesn't see it as a problem, then they're not going to spend time on it. Yeah, that, you know, that makes sense. Let them sell it to themselves, right? You're like, make them think it was their own idea um, is always a good strategy. <laughs> totally. I think I, yeah. And I think I was just kind of, um, if we were to sum it up, it just like the, that engagement, retention and productivity um, is really kind of the, the fundamental three things you're going to resolve and address with talent philosophy as part of your your overall approach with, you know, some of the other things we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about in these sessions, like your compensation philosophy and all these pieces. Um, so yeah, those were kind of the three things I, I remember you saying, as we've talked about this before, just that we're, what are, what are the top things that we are expected to address in HR retention, engagement, productivity, like we really want to provide you with actionable items. So as we're getting close to the end here, do we have, um, Anita, do you have some wrap up actionable steps that you would like to cover for, for our audience? For sure. So your biggest thing is to understand where your business is going in the next 24 months and what type of talent do you need to make it a reality? 
So that's the biggest thing. So you can use a survey to your team about their ideas for this around what it would be different, what they would get, what, what is their own value proposition around getting um, you know, more aligned talent into a philosophy in, into the business. You could revisit your current talent philosophy and make sure they're still working and go around and to ask people, we talked about this at the beginning, is it working or is it not? And then really calculate and track retention. Are your people that are really delivering staying longer? And are the people that aren't delivering, are you moving them through? Some turnover is okay. And if you have the wrong people on the bus, it's okay to find them a different seat or to find them a new bus. And so look at that too. And um, you know, just, just keep moving forward and chart and manage and measure your progress and make sure you make it a collaborative effort with your, with your hiring managers. Great. Also, if there was only one area that, that can be focused on to update a talent philosophy, which is the most important area? Like what would be the, the one thing to focus on if you can't, you know, pull all of this together right away, you're a busy HR professional in a, in a, in a potential recession, um, in a, in a competitive market, what's one thing to focus on if you just needed to, you know, to be able to start now? Can the talent we have today deliver on the business results we need for tomorrow? That's the question. And if they say yes, keep doing what you're doing. And if they say no, then dig in. Awesome. Okay. We hope that this is adding unique value. If there's anything else you want to suggest that we can talk about, please let us know. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bamboo HR. Visit us at bambooHR.com slash HR dash unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bamboo HR sets people free to do great work.